Hi, I'm Lynette from LeanPub, and in this LeanPub Front Matter podcast, I'll be interviewing Paul Redmond. Paul's a full-stack developer and author based in Scottsdale, Arizona. His books include the Lumen Programming Guide, published with A-Press, and the LeanPub book, Docker for PHP Developers, a guide to using Docker for PHP development. He's also written a course uh, called Docker for PHP Developers, which you can find at bitpress.io, a website offering courses that Paul co-founded along with his colleague Jacob uh, Jensen. Paul also works for Laravel News, uh, and it's no co- coincidence we're interviewing him now as LeanPub is helping sponsor Laracon EU, which starts in just a couple of days in Amsterdam. You can follow Paul on Twitter at Paul Redmond, and you can follow Laravel News at Laravel News, and check out the website at laravel-news.com. In this interview, we're going to talk about Paul's background and career, professional interests, his book, and at the end, we'll talk about his experience using LeanPub a little bit. Uh, so thank you, Paul, for being on the LeanPub Front Matter podcast. Thanks, Len. I really appreciate it. It's nice to be on here. I've got my Laravel News shirt on. You guys can't see that, but uh, I'm sporting it anyway. So, Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, I saw that right away. That's great. Um, uh, most of the uh, So I usually like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you grew up and how you ended up uh, being involved in software development. Sure. So I'm a bit like my grandpa. I'm a, I'm, I'm a homebody. So I, I was born here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and I've lived here my whole life. And my wife's always trying to get us to travel and move. But um, she has, I, like I said, I'm a homebody. So I've been here my whole my whole life for about 38 years, I guess. Um, spent a little time in Columbus, Ohio on a church mission and um, really um, grew up here in the heat and eventually learned about programming after I was married. So I was about 22 at that time. So. Um, most of the authors I interview uh, who are programmers and went to university studied computer science there, uh, but I believe you studied business at university if I read your LinkedIn profile correctly. Yes. So um, I'll try to make it short because it, it is a little boring, I, I think, but I started as a mechanical engineer and I was doing an actual like apprenticeship um, with a mechanical engineer that was kind of, a, I would say, an old school mechanical engineer. He served in World War II. And besides learning how to do some old school machining work, um, he taught me just a lot about just respect and honor and um, just taught me some really good old fashioned skills, I would I would say. So I, I, I got that experience. It was nice, but it, it also taught me that that's not really what I was interested in doing with my career. So it was uh, it was good that I just went for it and tried something and then later found that it really wasn't something I was interested in doing. Um, you uh, referenced your mission, and actually, that's something I wanted to ask you about. Um, on your on your Twitter, you mentioned that you're you're Mormon, um, and mm-hmm. you, you mentioned your mission on LinkedIn. And it's actually I've had the opportunity to ask uh, a couple of people on this podcast in the past about their missions. Um, and I was wondering if you'd like to speak a little bit about yours. I, you, you mentioned you went to Columbus, Ohio. Yes, so I went to Columbus, Ohio, so stateside. We have missionaries all over. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I mostly grew up in Arizona. We didn't travel a ton, so I hadn't even really been out east very far. <laughs> so it was my first time away from home. I was uh, 19 years old and um, huge learning experience. It really puts you into an uncomfortable position. Um, you have to um, in, you know, open your mouth. I'm very introverted, and I think that's partly why I love programming and web development. But it makes you get outside of your comfort zone. So, um, yeah, I just learned a lot of those those soft skills that you that I believe you need um, to be successful these days. And, um, yeah, so it, it was really helpful. It, I think just making it two years on your own at that age and doing something that you're not forced to do was, a, you know, a big accomplishment. And um, it's, it's volunteer 
you know, there is some pressure from within, uh, really, I would say religious pressure to go on a mission. But, um, in fact, I, I actually wanted to go. And, um, anyway, I, I think that, um, you know, it really helped shape a little bit of my, my character and helped me endure some things that maybe were challenging, you know, and, um, I, I, I think some people can relate, you know, in a, in a knowledge worker career, you're always going to face these challenges where you just want to quit and you just keep going. So I, I learned Like I said, I learned a lot of soft skills by doing my mission. And, um, uh, did you have a partner with you? Yeah. So you always go in, in pairs everywhere. And, um, so yeah, you, you get to meet different people and, um, you know, you, you actually learn some of your likes and dislikes. I'm, I'm sure the college experience is probably similar if you have never had roommates. So getting that experience of just learning your likes and dislikes and roommates and other people uh, was really uh, fun. And I, I have a lot of good memories and um, friends that I made that I still keep in contact with from, from it. So. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you, you talk about, um, you know, being being kind of in it. It's just volunteer, but at the same time, what you volunteer for kind of forces you to talk to people and things like that. And, um, uh, you know, I've been I've been interviewing people who are software developers uh, for years on this podcast. And I mean, if, if they're on LeanPub, they've already come out of whatever shell they were in to some extent. Um, but often uh, one of the stories is that things that people tell is that um, in order to be a successful software developer, you actually really ought to do things like go to conferences and try and give talks and, and things like that. And, and because it'll, it'll help you network, it'll help you find your next job, it'll help you learn. Um, and it's a very, it's a very welcoming community. Mm -hmm. And Laravel, yeah. Laravel in particular, I believe has a very welcoming community. I was just at Laracon and it, it is my first tech conference. I've been a software engineer for 15 years and I just have never taken that step. But I would also say like the local meetups, um, I've only been to a couple, but that, that's another really good way to come out of your shell a little bit. And it's a smaller stage as well to, um, you know, see some interesting presentations and then talk with uh, people afterwards and just kind of come out of your comfort zone and network with other people. Yeah, super fun. I had a great time at Laracon. It was, it was just a lot of fun. So one of the um, really fun things for me about this podcast is that I get to interview people from all over the world. Um, and often they have, you know, personal, for example, you might hear something about like Spanish independence movements in the news or something like that. Uh, and if I'm interviewing someone in Spain, then I can ask them about what, what do you know about this as a local? Um, and I wasn't planning to ask you about this initially, but just recently um, I saw on the news that it was announced that um, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are no longer supposed to refer to themselves as, as Mormons or even use the acronym LDS. And I'm really curious uh, how you've seen the response to that, or at least if you can maybe talk about your own experience. I mean, there's a lot of Twitter profile updating to do if that's if that's really happening. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thing. Um, I mean, I'm obviously not speaking officially for the church, but I've, I hear both in our, our external facing website. I believe one of your last guests, because I, I did, I, I listened to your podcast as well, um, had mentioned that he worked on the mormon.org property. Yeah. And that's definitely the way that people identify us. And so, I, I mean, as, as well as uh, a, a familiar term, um, the, the actual name of the church is Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But I feel like that's, it's not important to correct people if they refer to you as a Mormon. In, in a lot of, in like the uh, old days, the history of the church, that was like a derogatory term. 
but it's actually, I would say, lost that meaning. And it's just a term, you know, it's, it's because of the book of Mormon. And, um, anyway, I think the best approach, and this is, this is true of many other things is just to not correct people. And, uh, you know, if that's how they identify your church, then, and they ask questions, I think that's more important than correcting them. That sounds like a very, uh, wise and considered response. Uh, and, Thank you. And, and very polite and nice as well. Um, uh, I would say from my own personal experience, uh, I don't think that people nowadays, mm-hmm. when they hear that word, associate it with any particular kind of negativity. Mm-hmm. And, th- and there's like a lot of, you know, there's obviously we have beliefs and there are certain stances that I'm sure that you've heard of that. Um, and we are in, in the more conservative realm of politics, um, I would say just generally. But the thing that I take away from the church the most is the the goal and the mission is to love people and to help people. And that's the most important, in my opinion, the most important thing as you outreach to other people. Um, And the church is very involved in helping communities inside and outside of the United States that are impoverished, that need help. We have a perpetual education fund where members are, are encouraged to donate and it helps people in third world countries and other countries um, would, that wouldn't be able to get an education to, to fund that. And the other cool part that I personally like about that is once that person goes through that um, class, they can help um, and invest back into the perpetual education fund as well. So it's that, uh, hence the word perpetual, which I think, anyway, I think what I'm trying to say is like, um, in my opinion, the, the most important thing about my religion is trying to be tolerant of people and respecting everybody and just showing love and kindness regardless of differences. Um, speaking of education, uh, that's a good say- opportunity for me to segue into your own work in, in that area on bitpress.io. And I hope I pronounced your co-founder's name correctly when I said Jensen instead of Jensen. Yeah. So Jacob and I have uh, worked together professionally. And actually, um, there is another book that was originally on LeanPub. It was uh, it was my first it was it was my first book that I wrote and it was a uh, Lumen programming guide is published by uh, a press but it was writing APIs with Lumen was the original book and I started it on lean pub and uh, someone contacted me at a press to publish it as a book so that's kind of my origin story I guess as a publisher and I was so inspired by the writing process um, that's I wanted to, um, continue that and kind of, um, but press is like my home and it's, it's very unpolished. I'm still working on it. Uh, you know, in my spare time, I have a full-time job, but the idea is that I want that to be a place where I create courses and content and even software to help, um, developers learn and grow as developers. And, uh, when did you, uh, start working for Laravel news? So I started that about a little over a year ago. Um, <clears throat> it was, it was definitely a cool um, way to just start. Like uh, Eric just contacted me because he noticed that I had written a book or two and was interested in finding somebody to help him write content for the site. Um, so he just reached out to me. So um, it, like, I think what's really important for this podcast is that writing a book presents other things besides, besides money. There's also, it, it opens doors and uh, opportunities. And I, I think, um, maybe that's part of why he reached out to me in the first place. But ever since then, I've gotten to know Eric and we have a really good relationship. And um, I've I just hit over 200 articles on Laravel News. So, um, yeah, so it's it's a lot of fun. Sometimes I'm a little worried that I'm going to dry up and run out of content. But we try to um, feature community um, uh, 
open source projects. So that, that helps as well as I try to write a few tutorials here and there. Yeah, uh, thanks for that great answer. Yeah, I should say um, uh, when you say Eric, you mean Eric Barnes. Um, yes. The, the, I believe who's head, heads up Laravel News. Um, how many people are on the team? So it's Eric and me. Eric Barnes founded Laravel News, and um, he was writing the content all by himself and has grown it um, to what it is today and has written thousands of articles. Uh, I'm pretty sure his count's pretty high. And um, I think he just he wanted some help on the writing side as far as like just to allow him to do other things with the business as well. And how do you guys decide what to write next? Um, you know, he gives me a lot of autonomy and sometimes he'll bounce ideas off of me or I'll bounce ideas off of him. We just have our own internal base camp board and, um, some weeks, um, I don't even tell him what I'm publishing. I just create some to do's for it. So if he wants, he'll obviously receive notifications, but, um, yeah, it's very autonomous and he, he does put a lot of trust in me to just, uh, publish stuff that, you know, people will be interested in. So. And, uh, what, what is the latest Laravel news? Um, well, Nova is the latest Laravel news. I guess this week will be Laracon EU as well. But um, yeah, Nova just came out, and that was the big, uh, the big uh, reveal at a Laracon US, and now it's available too. So Nova is a uh, administration panel for Laravel that just um, allows you to make really cool custom administration panels with your existing code base, your Laravel code bases. Yeah, I uh, had the opportunity to interview uh, Taylor Otwell, the founder of Laravel, um, just a few days ago for the second time. Uh, five years had elapsed, and I, I actually didn't know this, but um, uh, yeah, he had just announced Nova, so I watched his uh, presentation on YouTube, and it was uh, fascinating to see the product of all that work. Yeah, it's, it's really it's really awesome. Um, I was really impressed because, I, I mean, I've been on teams where we've had a couple developers full time building administration panels, and uh, it's really impressive. Like just what he, uh, him, and David Hemphill, who helps him, cooked up. It, it's it's really cool. It, it's awesome. There's a lot of community um, uh, a community involvement going on as well right now. A lot of people are building Nova packages now that are they're open sourcing and sharing with the community. It's it's pretty cool. Um, it's interesting what you mentioned about uh, how publishing a book is about more than more than making money. Um, just yesterday, uh, also inspired by the upcoming Laracon EU, I interviewed um, Jason Gilmore, um, and uh, he 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 actually has a past working in uh, technical technical book publishing and um he's written hundreds of articles himself i don't know how much of that he does these days anymore um but uh but yeah he he, he talked about that as well um and that, that actually leads me into my next question which is if you're going to be an author then you have to figure out how to write uh, a book <laughs> and you have a really good blog post uh that you wrote a little bit a little while ago now uh, about your writing process for your latest book where you really break it down um it was really clear and methodical and i personally have to say i really appreciated the emphasis on outlining uh, which is something that I like to do for most of my writing projects. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about what, what's your process from like, you know, when you first sit down to start planning to, you know, when you're, when you hit the, hit the publish button, wherever that happens to be. Well, th thank you. I, I do appreciate that. Um, in fact, I, I was hoping to create more um, either video or uh, written content about this very topic as well. So it it, it is interesting to me. Um, so I think, out of all of this, I think the number one key for me at least, and this might differ for ever, for other people, um, I have to start in the middle somewhere and just get going. Um, so even I'm doing a screencast series right now so um, on Docker as well. I, I've released my book, but I'm also doing some videos. 
and I had, I kind of started in the middle and it, I don't know why, but for me, I go right to the exciting stuff and I kind of skip the intro type stuff because I, I want some momentum and I feel like that more interesting, engaging stuff really helps kind of set that tone for the book or any other piece that you're writing. Um, I, even like when I write articles, sometimes I'll just start in the meat of the article and put a title for the intro and just leave it blank because I don't know, a lot of times I refine it anyway at the end. So and maybe just works for me. I don't know. I haven't really proven if this is something that helps other people, but, um, yeah, so I just, I get started, I get started. And the other thing I do is I create all of the chapters, um, in lean pub. So I, in my book text file, I have every chapter that I've planned and, um, I actually, um, there's a step before that actually creating the outline. And what I like to do is just you know, do like a little like web diagram or any other way to brainstorm different topics. And then I start to see patterns and then I extract those and create, um, you know, a, a chapter outline. And the other consideration that you, you have to take is like this person is learning something that they might not have any idea about the topic. How can I organize this in a way to incrementally teach them something? So something in chapter two, you know, I'm sorry, uh, if you're introducing a, a concept in chapter two, um, you know, does chapter one cover any basics behind that concept that they understand it or building up to that concept? Um, so those are all, you know, all important considerations for me. The other important thing, at least for me, is getting feedback early and often. So um, when I when I set up a LeanPub project, I'll push to GitHub and LeanPub have maybe you guys love me for this, but every time I push to GitHub, it generates a new version of the PDF. And I like to review that often. Just for me, it's just some kind of satisfaction of seeing it in a PDF form. So yeah, I guess I'm kind of all over the place on this, but uh, that's kind of in a rough sense, the way that I kind of approach the writing part of things. I also use Grammarly intense heavily. Um, as, and um, I would recommend getting an editor, but in my case, um, it just wasn't in the budget. And, um, so I, I used Grammarly and, um, ran it by a couple of my, my friends as well. And how do you use Grammarly? So I, what I do is, um, I, I do a lot of the manuscript writing first. And so I'm not even touching Grammarly until I, the book has pretty much a, a full form. Um, the other thing that I would say is contrary to the way LeanPub does things is I, I kind of keep things hidden. And it's, it's my personality. I'm, I'm afraid to show like work in, uh, work in progress code to my coworkers sometimes. I just, I'm kind of an OCD perfectionist in that way. So a lot of times I'm doing my work in the background and I know that I need to kind of come out of my shell, you know, in the future in that regard. But um, the book has a very nice shape before I'm ever getting into Grammarly. So um, I do it chapter by chapter is how I, I go about it. I was going to ask you actually, you actually wrote in your post that you like to, I'm quoting, like to write in secret and release all at once, end quote, which, you know, not, <laughs> not that, not that we, we are very accommodating of all approaches to writing at LeanPub, but that's obviously not our kind of advertised mm -hmm. uh, advice. But you, but you just, you just mentioned that you actually like to get feedback uh, early on, unless I misheard you. So um, I guess what I mean is like my own internal feedback, like uh, um, my own feedback loop. I wrote it. It's, it looks like a markdown document but it doesn't really have like a design form in a, like a PDF format. So I guess that's what I mean is like, I'm, I'm constantly pushing up changes to lean pub in order to generate a new version of the PDF. Um, and how do you yeah. create that custom designed PDF? 
Oh, so on this project, I decided to kind of take it up a little notch. Last time I launched with um, the generated content from LeanPub, and I, I just wanted to kind of control the design a little more. And I know that you guys are friendly to this anyway, like you can export the book, uh, I believe, as an InDesign artifact. Is that correct? Yes. So I went with this open source t uh, tool that I noticed called Scribus, and um, it's kind of like an open source version of like InDesign. But, uh, you know, it's it's open source. It's not as polished as the Adobe InDesign product. And there are a few features lacking. But, um, yeah, what I, I basically like designed it. And this, you know, again, this is kind of the one thing I guess I learned from this process is that um, the mistakes and changes in grammar are very expensive because you're basically typesetting a book. At least maybe I'm just a, a rookie at this. I don't know. But um, when you drop in the code examples and let's say that uh, there's a bug in the code and you have to add a couple lines to the code example, it may push down the content onto the next page. And now you have to shuffle every page after that in the chapter. So it's, it is very painful. And I'm, I'm looking at ways to improve that process because I, I like being able to customize. And even if I wanted to add an illustration some, you know, somewhere custom in the middle, um, yeah, it just gives you a lot of flexibility, and I thought I'd experiment with it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually um, a really interesting feature of so many LeanPub books that they are they are about programming. And if you're writing a programming book, you have all the challenges of a person writing a normal book, but you also need to write code that works and keeps mm -hmm. working. Um, so there's an extra kind of quote unquote well, kind of grammar that you need to <laughs> that you yeah. need to stick to. Um, and so, you, I, I think uh, you mentioned in your blog post that you use a test driven development approach to your writing. Is that is that what you were talking about? Yes, that's what I was going to mention. So with my current book, it's um, Docker for PHP developers. There's not as much opportunity for like testing, test-driven development as there would be like in a coding book, like uh, with a programming language. Uh, but in my first book, in the Lumen book, I wrote it, I, I actually wrote the, the style of the publication is test-driven. So every concept in the book, you write a test first, um, and then you write the actual code to make the test pass. And I, a side effect of this is that I, I did not have very much errata. So either A, not a lot of people read my book and reported it, or B, that the code was really well tested and there was no errata. So I don't know the answer to that, honestly. It was my first book and I felt like I botched the communication marketing side of it a little bit. So I didn't really get a pulse of the of the readers. readers. I did get people reaching out to me and telling me that they really liked the book. And, um, and learned a lot from it and shared those things. But I, I guess I didn't, in the end, I guess I was very confident of the code in the book because I wrote tests for it. So even if you're not presenting the actual tests as part of the book, if you have those in the background, it's going to make your content much more, um, robust and you're going to have more confidence in your code samples. Um, you mentioned your uh, Lumen programming guide and the story about that book, and I wanted—I actually wanted to ask you about that. Um, one of the uh, really good outcomes that we look for from LeanPub books is actually that they get picked up by publishers and then retired on LeanPub. It's actually something that we we, we really uh, we get a kind of excited about. I mean, that's one of the things we want to be there for. Um, and so I just wanted to ask you a little bit about how that happened. I mean, did did you get an email saying, "Hey, we found your book and we'd like to publish it"? Are you are you up for negotiation? Yeah. So. Um, I believe somebody at a press purchased the book and probably checked it out. And then they reached out to me uh, via the lean pub contact form, I, I believe. So I, I think it is cool. Like that's publishers are scouring lean pub 
looking for books that might fit um, their publisher or whatever. And yeah, they reached out to me and again, I, I was like, Hey, let's try this out. I've never published a book before. Um, my first goal was like, can I finish a book? And lean pub helped me achieve that goal. Um, and I honestly don't think without lean pub, I would have achieved that goal for my first book. Um, I think it's that good of an iterative process, even if I'm not sharing my, my manuscript with actual people and letting them buy it. Um, it's still an iterative process if you're generating PDFs and constantly looking at new versions of it, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, they, they picked it up and the writing process, um, I guess, um, is different than if you were going to write on LeanPub. There is an editing team and you have to use their systems. So I, I did have to adapt to that. For instance, like I believe they use Microsoft Word as the writing tool with some custom templates and things for code. But uh, they were able to take the the manuscript or the PDF, uh, I don't remember which, but generate that into their format. So when I got the assets, a lot of the original book was already imported. And the goal was um, just enhancing it and making some changes based on feedback of what they wanted to, to change about the original book. Um, in addition to this Front Matter podcast, which for those who don't might not know, Front Matter is a kind of technical publishing term for this, some of the stuff that comes at the front of your book. Um, we've also got at LeanPub a, a podcast called Back Matter, which is about um, the publishing industry, the book publishing industry in particular. Um, and uh, just the other day, I was interviewing someone who writes a, a really great blog about authors negotiating contracts and things like that. And it's actually something I haven't asked on this podcast before, but what was that process like when you, I mean, presumably you had to sign a contract with A-Press and without asking you to give up any of the details of the contract. Mm -hmm. uh, how did that yeah. process go? Did they, they shoot you a kind of like, this is our standard contract? And did you ask any questions back? Yeah, I definitely ask questions because um, when you're signing a book contract, there's uh, advances involved in other um, payments. You know, for instance, like I believe um, O'Reilly is a good example of this. They have their online library and I'm sure that they compensate authors for being included in that digital library. A press also has their own digital library or maybe it feeds into O'Reilly's. I'm not actually sure. Because I, I do know that my book is available to the O'Reilly online subscription. Uh, but regardless, they, they do uh, negotiate and, and pay you those royalties as well for being included in that. Um, and yeah, I guess they sent me a couple contracts and I looked over them. And um, I guess I would say that I was a little hesitant because I've always kind of been um, entrepreneurial and independent. And I, I knew that I faced some... With this agreement, I faced a few um, constraints. Like, for instance, I had to retire my book um, and I couldn't um, market my own product. It was now out of my control as far as like, um, you know, trying to sell my book directly to people that would read it. Um, everything, you know, I can still promote it, obviously. Um, and a lot of times on, for a smaller author, it's still up to you to promote this book, even though it's now... I guess one of the illusions I, I had is originally when publishing with, with a publisher, you at least I did, I had this perception that they would take care of all of the promotion and marketing. And honestly, I, I actually don't really have a lot of um, view and insight into that process or what is, you know, what is being done to market the book. Um, it's obviously a smaller niche title compared to some of the other titles, um, et cetera. But, um, yeah, there was just all these considerations. And finally they, they sent over like the, the final contract and I signed it and that was it really just, 
Yeah, thanks for thanks for that great story. I think it's it's really interesting for people to hear, you know, uh, um, about what happens when you kind of uh, after you get that exciting approach from a publisher that there's you know real kind of you know dotting the t's and crossing the i's as I like mm -hmm. to say uh, kind of business work. Um, yeah, you reminded me of uh, I went to something called Book Expo America. I think it was as long ago as 2013 now, and there was um, one panel kind of at a boring time in a boring corner of the conference center uh, devoted to self publishing and Guy Kawasaki who's a relatively well-known guy, was uh, up there uh, talking about it. And he said, you know, the last time I approached a publisher with a book idea, they said, so how are you going to leverage your you know, social media platform and your 1 million plus Twitter followers, if I have that detail correct, uh, to help sell your book? And he said, well, hold, wait a minute. You know, and he was being a bit tendentious in the way he presented it. But he said, you know, if I'm going to be the one, if, I, if, I, if this sort of lifetime I've spent building up a following out there in the world is the, going to be the primary basis for the sales of my book, then what are you doing for me? And that that for him that for him was reason enough to go independent. Of course, people should know that you know. Of course, working with a publisher, they actually a good one actually does do a lot of work for you. A good one does take care of a lot of things for you. A good one um, does elevate your profile. Uh, and and so there are lots of good things that can come from it. But yes, I think I think it's a very common experience for people to think, oh well, now all of a sudden there's going to be like a stage with me in the middle of it, and my billboard's going to be up, you know, on the by the freeway in L.A. And uh, <laughs> that is that is yeah. not the case uh for so for most I, I will admit naively that i did check a barnes and noble just to see if maybe it was there and uh, again this is a very niche niche topic and um it definitely wasn't there a lot of times in barnes and noble you're going to see like beginning uh java and just really boring simple topics you know but i guess just really do your homework you know and make sure that when you're going into a contract that you set realistic expectations with yourself and with them like ask those questions you know what is the marketing plan for this title you know and just um figure all those things out and, yeah, make, and make the right decision and nowadays actually um if you're an author you might be asked to provide a business plan for your book as well mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how, how common that is with technical books, uh, because it's probably a lot easier to kind of like do some research and hone in on like where a, a technical book should be marketed and to whom than it is say a you know, book about, you know, vampire werewolves or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a real business and it's real work. Um, and it's something to keep in mind that, you know, it's going to be, mm -hmm. it's going to be exciting at times and it's going to be boring at times and it's going to be a little bit, you know, feel a little bit risky at times as well. Mm -hmm. Um, the last question I always like to ask authors on this podcast is if if you could think of one thing that you could ask us to do to make Lean Pub better, or what, what would that thing be? Maybe building a feature or fixing a bug. Hmm. So I did put a little thought into this because I know that you asked this question, but I'm kind of uh, drawing a little blank here. Um, I did have a really good answer though. Okay. <laughs> Just forgot it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, um, um, if you uh, if you remember it, let me know. Uh, oh, uh, I think I I do. So, and maybe again, maybe I I'm just not checking close enough. But some like marketing data. I know that you have some analytics integrations, but maybe uh, and again, I don't know the the full details of of this. But maybe having more data about the readers. Um, I think it would be interesting to just know a little bit more about my reader um, from the dashboard. I don't know if that if that makes sense to you at all, but um, like um, maybe even just like being able, having their name and knowing who they are. You know? So so that's that's actually a really a really interesting kind of deep lean pub question. Um, uh, I'll try to answer it relatively briefly. 
Um, we do have Google Analytics um, uh, integration, um, and that can be really useful. That Google Analytics can also be kind of a bit tricky to relate to appropriately. In my, this is my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, often, I've had this experience um, where if you show charts to people, they tend to assume a one-to-one correspondence between that chart and the reality behind it. It's mm. just something, it's just a, a very common normal human reaction. So for example, a lot of in the investment world, a lot of, you know, people will, a client will come in and say, you know, why should I invest in this this stock? And they'll say, see this, see this line going up? Let me just extend it out another three mm-hmm. years. You know, mm-hmm. and, when, and when you see that line going up for the next three years, people really like, and I can't like, I know it sounds like an exaggeration. People really do believe it because they saw that chart. Mm-hmm. Um, and Google Analytics is actually really complex and really tricky. And what you're really, it's, it's an art, not a science using that. Um, and so I just want to caveat what I'm saying about, about uh, analytics with my, my, I actually do have a kind of skeptical relationship to them myself. Um, they're very important to have and to use and to work with, but everybody should understand that, you know, it's not, things aren't always going to match up day to day. If you know what I mean, like, you know, your what, what Google Analytics shows you happened a month ago, like mm-hmm. the next day, it might show you something different for that very same day. Uh, right. because something changed or some new information came in. Um, and so that's, for example, just one thing that people need to keep in mind when we're talking about analytics. Um, mm-hmm. Another really interesting thing is, for example, if you, with, with respect to internet commerce and particularly with sort of selling your own things, um, we often get people asking, you know, can I, can I get the names or the email addresses of the readers? Um, and it's, it's funny, so one, one response is to say, if you went and bought a book at the local bookshop, would you want the author to get your email address? <laughs> right. <laughs> would, would you would, would you expect that? And you'd be like, well, no, I would not. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say no if they asked, but you know, certainly it's mm-hmm. not your not your expectation when you buy a pillowcase yeah. on Amazon, for example, that the pillowcase seller is going to get your yeah. personal information. But it's but it is a natural question to ask because LeanPub is in that world of handling things yourself and being self-promoting. And so our way of kind of managing those two kind of competing expectations is to. Uh, give readers the opportunity to share their email address with the author when they buy the book. Mm. Um, so that that's one of our responses. Um, Is that possible today? Uh, yes, uh, unless oh, nice. unless I'm wrong about something. It's been a while since I've looked at that, but but you can definitely. Choose to, you can choose to when the when a book is not published yet, you can actually choose to do it at that step, and I I'm ninety nine percent sure you can choose to do it uh, afterwards as well. Um, That's what I was going to say is like from a from an independent writer's perspective, um, you kind of need to build up your audience um, to support your future work, so you're not starting from ground zero every time. Um, so having Okay, it's not that like I would want to spam people, but I would at least like to just let them know, like, look, you you bought one of my other books in a kind way. This is something else I'm working on that I think you might be interested in. Um, but there is a lot of responsibility on the author's part to not spam people and take advantage of that. Well, ex- exactly, exactly. And actually, this is something we put a lot of, of thought and work into. Um, and um, one other feature that we have is a kind of um, a kind of double blind uh, system that lets you uh, email your readers when you update your book. So if mm-hmm. someone has bought your book, they can opt in to uh, receiving update emails from LeanPub. Uh, so from you via LeanPub, and so you don't actually have to give them your email address, and they don't have to get they don't have to give you theirs, and you can actually still contact all your readers about updates to your book. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's there. It's sort of there to respect because like a lot of authors, they're like, I want to communicate with my readers, but I don't necessarily want them having my email address. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and we also have um, uh, MailChimp integration as well. Um, oh, nice. So you can do that. And I'm actually, because I want to get this right, I'm just testing this process right now, buying a uh, continue. <laughs> Because it's something we're always obviously iterating on, but yeah, establishing that connection in a transparent way, uh, mm-hmm. if people want to do it, um, yeah, we've got share my email with authors as a, as an option on the, what we call the post purchase page. Mm-hmm. Um, Is it unchecked by default? It's unchecked by default. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah. the right choice. Well, it kind of has to be because of GDPR, <laughs> but um, the, actually, yeah. <laughs> share, share email with authors was always um, opt in. Um, however, in, before GDPR came about, uh, being emailed about new versions of your book was opt out. So you were automatically opted in to e- update to emails that updated you about new versions. And the reason we, we, we are very, we have a very like opt in culture. And so we only made that decision because something unique to LeanPub, which is that books are actually being published in progress. And if someone buys a 10% book and doesn't have a PhD in LeanPub, we don't want them to have to, you know, learn where to go to make sure they get an update for that specific book. And we were at, we actually felt we were, you know, doing them a service by doing that. And we were, we were not giving out their email address to anybody or anything like that. But but now everything is, is opt-in, uh, which, well, is, which is fine. Yeah, that's cool. I, I, thanks for the insight. It's, um, so are you also saying that, like, if I create a new book that I could email that other book, um, all the readers and just say, hey, I've I've launched a new book or is that outside of the um, like? So it's it's not it's not formally sanctioned. Um, but okay, all, I authors do do that. And we think mm-hmm. it's fine and readers like it. Um, I would say it's something you that is something you would do once. So if you've published right. a new book, and you've got this existing set of readers from a previous book, you say, hey, I can sit. It's, it's I would say it's it's okay to mm-hmm. go ahead and send one, <laughs> one email yeah. to them. And conventionally, uh, that ought to include a coupon with a discount for the new book. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's de- definitely something you want to do because people love getting coupons. They love getting discounts and, and uh, you want them reading your new book. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I definitely think too, on this, on the writer side, you, you really have to do be sensitive to just regardless of laws, just be sensitive to people getting a ton of emails and spamming them because it's not going to help you in the end. So like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's in your best interest to try to build an audience, but do it in a way that's not spammy. Oh, oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that's just, you know, I've been doing, been at this for years and you, you can, there's certain people have certain kinds of personalities that come along and we have had people, um, take advantage of the freedom to email authors and, and spam them. Uh, and we stop that when we see it happen. Nice. Um, so just for any lean pub readers out there listening, um, <laughs> don't, don't worry if someone starts taking advantage of that option, uh, then we, we, you know, put a stop to it. Uh, so yeah, thanks for giving me uh, the opportunity to talk about that. That's actually something that's um, a really important part of LeanPub and it's a little bit hard to describe, you know, in words or just with a presentation of features. So thanks for giving me the chance to talk about that. Uh, and, and thanks, thanks. And thanks, um, for taking the time to do this interview and for being a LeanPub author. Yeah. Thanks, Len. I really appreciate LeanPub as well. I I wouldn't be where I'm at today without using LeanPub. So I, I do appreciate it very much. Thanks.